Okay, in a moment, I'll get to welcome uh, Glenn up. But if you're new around, basically we're in this series looking at the first three chapters of Genesis. As in it, what we're discovering is what God created in terms of a home for us in, as humanity. And though we live in a world that is broken, actually God's desire and design is that we live together as his church, as an outpost of the home that he's uh, intended, a home that he will come and restore uh, that Jesus came to live, to die, and rise again in order to cr- call us back home and to call us back into who we're meant to be. And so week in, week out, we've been looking at different attributes of home. And at this point, we're going to get to look, and we're not going to steal Glenn's thunder of what we're looking at. But when we were talking about who should do this one, there was one person who I, I felt came to mind. It was Glenn, just because he lives with this stuff. Glenn uh, isn't someone who's on staff at Oasis. He's someone who has a day job that's very good. Uh, therefore, he's not like a blagger like me. He lives in the real world. Uh, he lives uh, doing a job with Jaguar Land Rover. And I think it's amazing that he kind of gives out time to do this. And one, I'd want to just really honor Glenn in doing this. You wouldn't ordinarily know him just because he attends the morning gathering with his family. But um, he's just serving us so well. And I promise you, open up your hearts because what you're about to hear will open the vision of what Jesus has called us to in following him. So that's quite a big build-up, isn't it? But I think it's a good build-up and one. So should we welcome Glenn? And I think it's going good. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you for your kind words. Firstly, I just want to apologize for the extended delay. Um, I don't need to share this, but the zip on my trousers went during worship. But God is good. I had a spare pair in my bag, so a quick change and I'm back again. So there we go. I feel much better about being up here with everything in its place. Um, So... Um, I'm going to continue in the series that we've been talking about, Home, talking about Genesis. And I have to say that I've been really enjoying the series so far, listening to Richard and Mike and Lucy and Adrian, and doing a deep dive into this subject. Sometimes when you have to go deeper in Scripture, it gives you a more fuller revelation of who God is. And, And through this kind of search in Genesis, I really have got a sense of how good God is, and this kind of ever-increasing revelation of his grace and his righteousness, his mercy, and also his generosity. And so I encourage us all to kind of go deeper in the word, into scripture, because it really challenges you and it changes you. Um, What I want to do at this point, I just want us to all as well, as best we can, to stay engaged with this part of the service. I know after some lively fellowship and some lively worship, and some lively changing of clothes, wardrobe changes. We can, have a, we can have a place where we start to get a little bit kind of passive and, and someone's speaking at you, but I really want us to stay engaged at this point. I want us to think about these couple of questions as we hear from God's word today. And those are, is God, some, is God saying something specifically to me this morning? Is he saying something to me? And if he's saying something to me, what do I need to do with that in order to glorify him more? So taking what he says and then looking at opportunities, how do I glorify him more as a result of what he says? And I think that's a healthy thing to do, no matter who's speaking, whenever we come to church, to think about those questions, because the word of God will change you, no doubt. The title of my talk this morning is 
do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? And the theme of it is about care for creation. So I'm going to dive straight into God's Word today, starting with Genesis 2.15. Hopefully it will come up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, follow along, please. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now we're going to look at Genesis 2, verses 19 to 20. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground the beasts of the field and all of the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all of the livestock, the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Now, like a lot of people in this room, I've read those scriptures many, many times, as I'm sure lots of us have. But it's only with the significance and the context of what leads up to these two scriptures we can have a full appreciation of what's going on. And so I just want to go back to kind of go forward because I think this, what we've just read, is almost an output of something very, very significant leading up to it. So we're going to look at how God has set up our home. We're going to look at structures and we're going to look at systems. And to do that, I'm going to look at the six days of creation very briefly, focusing in more on days five and day six. So very quickly, days one to four, we know that God created light. He formed the earth and the waters and the vegetation. On day five, God created the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And on day six, God created animals, like land animals. And he also created humanity, thankfully. I want to look, so in Genesis, when you read Genesis, what you quickly notice that there's some repeating patterns, there's some repeating language that's applied, and there's this kind of rhythm of language, and some of that identifies the similarities between non-humans, which I'm just going to frame non-humans being birds, fish, and animals, just because it's easier to say. So non-humans and humans, we see that there are some similarities, and we also see there are some very distinct differences between humanity and the rest of creation. And we're just going to unpack that a little bit further. So I've kind of done a bit of a PowerPoint table. Everybody loves a good PowerPoint slide, don't we? Or maybe not. Uh, so what we can see here is there's some repeating patterns for both the, the non-humans, fish, birds, land animals, and humanity. We see in Genesis 1.22 that God blessed animals and birds and fish. He did so the same for Genesis, uh, for humanity in Genesis 1.28. He blessed them. He wants the best for them right from the start. Again, in Genesis 1.22, we can see that God says to the animals and to humanity, 
in Genesis 1.28, to be fruitful. There's a purpose. Be fruitful. Go into the world and multiply. Same for animals and birds and fish as it is for human beings. And then the third repeating pattern that you'll see when you read in Genesis is that when God created, he saw that it was good. And we can see that in Genesis 1, 21 and 25 for the fish, the birds and the animals. And then in Genesis 1, 31, at the end of day six, God looked at all that he had created and he said it was very good. Now, I've got a bit of a problem with the words very good. I have to be honest. I, I, I read it and I just think, the language is not quite strong enough for me. Pardon, it's not quite good enough for me in that sense. And I'll tell you why. So uh, my, my wife, I, can, I think I can say this because my wife's in okay sense. She probably won't listen to me later, in all fairness. <laughs> Which is fine, I understand. They, you know, I, they like to paint my wife and my daughters. And um, a few weeks ago, I came home. And they'd been painting in the conservatory, so there's canvases, little canvases everywhere. And at a point in time, I sat down with my wife. My daughters had gone off to cause chaos some other part of the house. And yeah, I just let them do that. And my wife was like, Glenn, those pictures, are, they're good. They're good. And I'm kind of nodding, thinking, yeah, they're good. And she's like, no, Glenn, they're, they're, they're really good. And I'm kind of nodding, really good. And then she's like, somebody would buy those pictures. And I'm kind of nodding, I'm thinking, who would buy those pictures? <laughs> you know, but because I'm, I've kind of developed the wisdom of being a husband over the years, I think it, but don't say it, you know. And anybody getting married, you know, this, you learn these things, you think things, but you don't always say what you're thinking. And so I'm thinking, they're good, but I don't know anybody who's exchanging money for one of those canvases. And that could make me a terrible dad, I don't know. But I thought that they were good, even really good, but nobody's going to pay for them. And the point of that is this, when it comes to the words good and very good, to you and me, they're quite subjective and they could be quite variable. When I, when I imagine God at the point of day six, kind of stepping back and looking at it and going, this is very good. I think God's very good is beyond our comprehension that it is so good, it is so phenomenal. I imagine that God would have seen in one instant, he would have seen the whole of creation. So he would have seen every single dimension of creation from the smallest cells and atoms that make up creation to the largest and the most complex structures, looking at humanity, but then looking at the span of creation over time. He would have seen that all in that instant. And somehow when we translate that into a language very good. It doesn't quite do it. If anybody's ever seen the film The Matrix where you kind of see one thing, but there's a whole another level to what you're seeing, I believe that's, that's what God would have seen. And so the first point that I, you know, I really want to drill home at this point is that what God did was incredible. It is phenomenal. The home he has set up for us is inconceivably good to us. It is unbelievable. We, we see in one dimension, but we, he sees it in all, and it is fantastic. So we've looked at some of the similarities between humans and non-humans. Now we're going to look at the next slide, is some of the unique attributes that God gave specifically for humans 
that he didn't do for the rest of creation. The first one is that he made us in his image. And the second one is that he gives us dominion over the creation to rule and to reign. And I'm going to unpack those a little bit more. So the image of God, the word that would have been used, the Hebrew word that would have been used then would have been selem, S-E-L-E-M. And that was a kind of term that would have been used for idols or carved images that would have gone into the temple to represent the meeting place between man and God. And it would also be a term that would have been reserved for kings of the time. So kings that would have had this elevated status, they would have had this position above the rest, they would have almost deemed to have some kind of divinity about them. And this is the word Salem. Now, at the time in the ancient world, then when it's kind of declared that God has put this image this divine nature in each and every one of us would have been a kind of shocking revelation. But each and every person now has the nature of the eternal God in them. Some think of God's righteousness, God's love, God's compassion, God's sense of justice in each and every single person. And that really has been a bit of a game changer for me again you kind of realize some things at a certain level, but then you start to realize more deeply. So this week, as I've been kind of meditating on this, I've been thinking, every single person I meet, every person I come into contact with, there is something of the eternal God inside of them. And that changes the way you see them, and it changes the value that you put on them. You know, that person that takes the milk from the fridge at work and pretends that he hasn't done it and puts it back without you knowing... There's something of the image of God in them. <laughs> that person that cuts you up and doesn't acknowledge you at all. There's something of the image of God in them. The person that ever so slightly annoys you. I know there's a lot of spiritual Christians and, and maybe not getting annoyed, but sometimes people can. There's something of the image of God in, you, in them. And when you see that, it's like the question, do you see what I see? Do, do we see what God sees? Do we see that image of God reflected back? And does it change how we engage with that person? Do we see the eternal nature of God in them? And it just kind of reflects that actually humanity is the pinnacle of creation. The pinnacle of creation. Just have a look into the eyes of the person next to you and think, wow, you are the pinnacle of creation. Look at that. I know some of the married couples are going, I don't think so. But it's true, you are the pinnacle of creation. Yeah. Helps if you're the halves here. It's a bit awkward without them. But, uh, but we are the pinnacle of creation in that sense. As well as the, another dimension of the image of God being in us is not just our identity, but it's also our vocation. God is a ruler and a reigner of all. And in that, he's given us dominion to rule and reign over the earth. He's given us this very special responsibility, this delegated divinity, this delegated authority to rule on his behalf, to be representatives in how we engage with creation. He doesn't give us ownership. He gives us stewardship. 
You know, Psalm 24 one says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So that's a really important distinguish. He calls us to be caretakers and stewards, not owners. And that's part of our responsibility of having dominion. And coming back to the first scripture that we read, when man, he called man to name the animals, that would have been one of the first acts of dominion for humanity, to name the animals. So we've been given this really incredible home. God has set up this wonderful structure and he's given humanity the responsibility to take care of it. The next scripture I just want to read very quickly is Genesis 1, 29. And hopefully again it will come up on the screen. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all of the beasts, which actually when you read beast, it's kind of another word for animals. And to all of the beasts and all of the birds of the air and all of the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Why is this relevant to the other portions in terms of the uniqueness and the differences. The reason why this is also relevant is because what we can see now in the, in the fullness, we see this perfect blueprint for existence. We see the formula and the system and the structure laid down for an existence where no part of creation has to live at the expense of the other to survive. We don't have to, humanity didn't have to live at the expense of the animals, the animals didn't have to live at the expense of humanity, and there was enough coming from the earth for everything to flourish. This is, again, another pointer to say, this is the perfect blueprint. This is the perfect way that God set creation in motion, in giving us harmony and a perfect home to live in. Every animal, every human, all of creation living together with God harmoniously. The question that naturally rises, we know Genesis 3 comes along, there's a different kind of line that we go on there, but the question is, how is humanity doing as a species in terms of fulfilling that mandate for dominion, fulfilling that mandate to look after and care for the earth, care for the animals, care for one another? Well, the answer is, we could be doing better. Sandy, like one of my school reports, it's, we could do better. And there's a slide that's going to come up now. Again, some, if you've grown up in a Christian household, you might not recognize what this is. This is a, an out-of-control house party. <laughs> Hopefully you don't recognize it, but if you do. And this reminds me, this kind of symbolizes to me a little bit of where humanity is. We're kind of like these teenagers, a little bit out of control. Mom and dad have gone away. We're going to raid the fridge. We're going to do what we need to do to have a good time tonight. We're going to take off all the boundaries, and we're just going to do what we need to do. And that's a little bit, and that, you know, that's unfair because it's not, you know, in the sense that we're all not kind of wrecking it. But the reality is, to some degree or other, we are all at this party. 
This is not a single person. This is not a limited kind of invite. In one way or another, we're all kind of locked into systems that we're currently in that are not perfect. And in that, we all have a contribution that, that comes to some degree at the detriment of creation. If you've driven here today in a car, that would have taken some resources from the planet to create and to keep it going. The food you eat, the clothes that we wear, we're in an imperfect world and we're kind of locked into some imperfect systems. So the one thing I want us all to hear that this is not a point of feeling condemned that it's you. You know, we have to accept that we live in an imperfect world. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we don't try and do something because we have to do something because that's what we're called to do. The challenge is really that the house party, it looks like this on a micro level, but on a macro level, on a global level, the next slide is probably more reflective of the implications of the way humanity is kind of ruling and reigning at the moment. And we're kind of familiar with these scenes because we see pictures like this on the news quite frequently. But some of the numbers in here are quite alarming when you think, wow, this is going on every single year. So let me just run through them. So 55 billion animals a year are killed for food, up to 70 billion. 132 billion fish killed every year for food. 8 million tons of plastic dumped into the ocean. Now, there comes a point where they think in the next 20 or 30 years there'll be more plastic than fish in the sea. 18 million acres of deforestation each year wiped out, and predominantly for agriculture. You can see a high percentage, 60% of the animal population wiped out since 1970. And then the final point is this IPCC report, the International Panel for Climate Change, have said that we've got about 12 years to reverse some of the trends that we're seeing in the climate. And we know that the overwhelming body of evidence seems to suggest that humanity is playing a, a key part in that climate change that we've got 12 years to reverse it, otherwise it's going to become really problematic to the point where it's irreversible. And then what we will see, we'll see hundreds of millions of people that will be affected mainly in the poorest areas of the world if that's not dealt with. There will be mass migration, there'll be all sorts of implications as a result of this. And these are all very sobering, very difficult numbers to get your head around, very difficult pictures to look at. Um, and that the point of this being is that on our current trajectory, everything would seem to suggest that what we're doing is unsustainable. But we're not to lose hope. That's the key thing, we're not to lose hope. Why are we in this situation? Well, I don't think anyone this morning woke up and thought to themselves, I am, my sole purpose intention today is to do something that's at the detriment of creation. I don't think anybody did. I didn't wake up this morning and think, 
I'm just going to chip away at it a little bit more today. That's my primary objective, is to do that. I don't think that's the reality of it. I think part of what our challenge is, and, and I'm going to start to draw this into the more into, rather than the general, the specific challenge, is that there's a word here that we're going to come on the next slide. And some medical students may recognize that. It's, um, I hope I'm going to pronounce it right. Mike, you're going to correct me if I'm wrong. It's paresthesia. Is that right, Mike? Is that? Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> there you go. I knew I was going to mess up trying to look clever. Paresthesia. But I, and and it, it kind of, the, the symptoms of that are numbness, a desensitization. Um, some similes talk about being apathetic. But this sense of numbness towards our impact on creation. That's some of the, the condition that we face as a species. And that numbness comes in two forms. It does for me anyway. It comes in one, kind of a little bit of ignorance to what's going on and the impact I'm having. I don't really know all the stuff and all the things I get involved with, what that is happening downstream. And the other side of it is there's an intentional numbness. It's almost like I say to myself, that there, that, that problem over there is too difficult for me to deal with. I don't know how I get my arms around that challenge because that's huge and I'm just me. And therefore, I intentionally kind of make myself numb to it and kind of think, oh, maybe it will sort itself out. The reality is... These solutions on a, on a macro level are very, very difficult to deal with. They can be very, very difficult, and that causes a numbness within us. So what, what is the answer to this? What is the answer to this challenge that we face as humanity, as the church? As I mentioned, the solutions on a macro level can be very complex. So, you know, I think it's, it would be unfitting to try and give a very simple answer to a complex question because it wouldn't do it justice. It, uh, globally, these problems are very, very complex in terms of economies wanted to go through their industrialization period to lift themselves out of poverty, to kind of get to where the West has gone to. These are, these are complex problems and the answers will also be complex. There are all sorts of things that we can do on a kind of micro level and they are equally as important as an individual to do things that are aiming for progress in this area, which is the care of creation. And progress really is the order of the day, not perfection. Aim for progress and not perfection in these things. That's one recommendation I have and one thing that I take on board. If I feel that I've got to solve all of the Earth's problems, I am the sole caretaker and the sole, sole kind of purpose that's going to... There's no way, obviously, we know that Glenn Darby is not going to do that. But I can do something, and I can make progress, and I can suggest to you any number of things today that would help in that journey of progress from, you know, cutting down on single-use plastic. That's always a good idea, getting yourself a reusable bottle. It's a simple, small example. Maybe having some meat-free days, we know that the farming industries take such a toll on the environment, but having some meat-free days is one step 
forward in terms of progress. Just generally cutting down on consumption. I mean, I, for, for those of you who've got children, Christmas time, my house is rapidly shrinking. I had this huge house when I moved in, and now it feels like it's this big. I kind of walk down hallways like this, crawl under things, step over things. My house is shrinking by the year, and, and each year I say to myself, no, this Christmas is going to be, it's going to be different. We're not going to buy all this stuff. And inevitably, Christmas comes and we buy all of this stuff, and, and it drives me crazy. But this whole check-in on the amount of consumption that we're kind of partaking in. It's a good sense check. It's a good micro kind of step towards progress that we can make. And if we all do that, it will make a difference. As a church, I think, as the church, I think there's a better question as a starting point than what's the answer. And that question is this, who's the answer? Who's the answer? And we all know, spoiler alert, it's Jesus. We know it's Jesus. And the reason I say that is because Jesus is the perfect representation of God the Father. At the start of creation, Jesus would have been there with the Holy Spirit. He would have been there with Father God. He would have been there as creation was birthed. He would have been there when the systems were set up, the structure was set up, the vision was kind of put out there. Jesus was there with the Father from the beginning. I penned these words yesterday, and I think, I think they're true. To look upon Jesus is to look upon the whole reason for creation. And in doing so, the care of creation no longer becomes a duty, but it becomes an act of worship. I'm just going to say that once more because I think it's quite powerful. To look upon Jesus is to look, about, look upon the whole reason for creation. And in doing so, the care of creation no longer becomes an act of duty, it becomes an act of worship. I think the things that I've suggested on a micro level to do, I don't think that would surprise anybody. I'd be, you know, if anybody thought, well, I shouldn't use single-use plastic anymore, I should reduce that. I don't think for the church it's a head thing. I think when we have the heart shift, that's what will make all of the difference. When we lean into Jesus, that's what's going to make a difference. When we see what Jesus sees and when we love what Jesus loves and when we value what Jesus values, that's when it becomes an act of worship. It's no longer, I'm not going to do this out of a sense of duty. I'm not going to have this plastic bottle of water out of a sense of duty. I'm not going to do this out of a sense of duty. When it's an act of worship. It's a desire. You do it out of a desire and you want to worship God by not doing those things. I love worship to music. I think it's so amazing. The worship was incredible this morning. And, and you can sense God and you can sense his presence through worship with music. But not all, mu not all worship has music to it. 
some worship will come in the form of self-denial. And, and that's not very popular. Nobody wants to think of denial. Nobody wants to think that they have to kind of put the boundaries to cause restrictions. But that's what Scripture says. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And that's an act of worship. But the difference is when you see these things as an act of worship, they're no, no longer just an act of duty. You desire to do what God wants you to do. You see differently, you love differently, and you value differently. And when it comes to the care of creation, when it comes to looking after this beautiful home, this perfect structure that God put in place, giving us his image, giving us the responsibility to look after it, care for it, and tend to it, we should be looking to do that as an act of worship to Jesus. So when people look at the church, they see a different type of person because their heart is in it. It's not just a head. I'm not just doing this because of the impact it's going to have on me as an individual. They see it as an act of worship of Jesus. And in that, we demonstrate our love for the whole of creation, the whole of humanity, the whole of the animal kingdom, the whole of the fish and the birds, and all of those things that God wanted to bless from the very beginning. They see a different type of person because we start to see the way Jesus sees. So my final question and my final challenge to us all this week is as we go from here, we go into our world, we go into our ordinary lives, whatever that looks like, how will we worship Jesus through the care of creation this week? How will we challenge ourselves to demonstrate our worship of Jesus through the care of creation?